0: Welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler, and this week I'm joined by another very special guest. I feel like every week I'm saying it's a very special guest, but a lot of these people I have long relationships with, and this one is probably the longest Jim Bazinski. I've known Jim since 1996. He and I started Outsports together, we had an Outsports podcast for many years. And it's fitting that Jim would come on and have a conversation with me about Outsport's relationship with the Olympics. The Olympics, since almost we found that Outsports have driven massive amounts of traffic to Outsports and uh, a lot of awareness about the website, because we found very early on that for various reasons... LGBTQ people really like the Olympics. They like the stories around the Olympics. They like the bodies around the Olympics and sports that you don't see a lot on TV like swimming and diving and gymnastics, track and field. Jim and I take a kind of a step back in time and look back at some of the big stories we've covered, the evolution of Outsport's coverage of the Olympics over the years. And he always offers a great insight into why some stories hit, why some stories didn't, and he shares some of what were his favorite stories from over the years and what we have to look forward to in Tokyo in 2020. We haven't been shy about our predictions about what that might look like, and Jim shares his predictions here. Anyhow, here's my conversation with my OutSports co-founder, Jim Basinski. Well, I'm thrilled to be joined now by... My partner and former OutSports podcast partner, (laughs) Jim Bozinski, we used to have a podcast together and we got tired of it. It was a lot of work. And uh, Jim's mostly retired from podcasting duties. Yes, Jim?
1: Well, it was more of the technical aspects that killed our podcast. It kept, uh, it wouldn't either record or it would record twice or something. And so it became more of a pain in the butt and I don't feel technically adept to kind of handle one myself. But, um, yeah, I think, I think the other one was basically a system that was like more, more, uh, frustrating than it was useful.
0: Yeah. Well, again, now that Vox Media is totally embracing podcasts, it's, it's gotten a lot easier. But ever since that we first published OutSports, the Olympics have been a big part of of what we've done. I remember the first, you know, very big moment where we had real LGBTQ issues surfacing in the Olympics was in Johnny Weir. But Jim was just reminding me that it was well before then that we saw just how much our readers liked the Olympics. And Jim, I don't even remember the 2000 Olympics, but you do.
1: Oh, they were in Sydney and we had incredible traffic as we were doing these daily notebooks just on anything we saw. It didn't even have to be LGBTQ related because there was almost nothing that was gay related back then. And a lot of it was just the sports themselves and also honestly commenting on who the hot athletes were, which is why I think we've kind of come full circle. In 2016, the New York Times did a story on how gay men watched the Olympics for eye candy and I think they quoted they quoted both of us, I believe. And the joke to him was, well, that was our idea 16 years ago. and You finally caught on and we sort of have stopped doing that. And everyone else is sort of like coming late to the game. But for the longest time, that was sort of one of the things about our coverage. It actually did drive it because it was almost taboo growing up in my generation for, for men to talk about men physically, like admiringly physically. It was like you just didn't do that. So it was kind of liberating, I think, for a lot of our readers to say, Hey, this is a great athlete, but I also think he, he looks great, you know, in his uniform or whatever. And now we see ESPN's, you know, body issues, and everybody does every mainstream thing that's the hottest male and female Olympians. So it's become old hat. But back in 2000, it was pretty kind of revolutionary. And so that kind of told you and me, if, if you don't remember it, you remember it at the time that we talked about, we got to cover the Olympics now. And so every Olympics, we wound up doing it from, about 2000. We haven't missed one since.
0: It is so interesting that so much of out sports back then was looking at eye candy. We talked about issues and all kinds of other things, but I mean, we both felt very strongly that it was important for us to do that because you, like you said, it had been, it was taboo for men in sports to, to ogle other men and admire their bodies, even though the straight guys do it anyway. And, yeah. and for us, it was actually part of doing the, the work was at being out there and saying no we can look at these divers and swimmers and talk about how beautiful they are even if even if no other sport outlet were and the people that we would get the most criticism from were gay people well,
1: what was funny is we never sexualized them that we never talked about their penis like it was never a thing of oh you know like we never made those kind of illusions it was simply this guy is hot. And it was often the Olympics. You would see people you would never see. You'd see some canoeist from Slovakia that you, you know, you ever was like, oh my God, that guy looks great. And I do think it was really liberating for a lot of people. And that's also when we had a, a really active discussion board. And I think it was even called Eye Candy was the just the one section that got during the Olympics. It just exploded because you know, this was right when the Internet was starting to get a lot more photos available online and stuff. And so people were posting stuff left and right. But yeah, I actually do think it was something that was actually needed at the time. And we don't really need to do that now because it's everywhere. You know, like it's just not even it's not even necessarily a unique novel thing. It's become mainstream. So we've kind of pulled back from that in a great way. But I think at the time it was actually necessary for a lot of just people who are, who are LGBTQ sports fans to not have to be embarrassed about it
0: today in 2020 when i look at other lgbt publications um objectifying athletes and oh here here are five hot football players today i roll my eyes at it because i we've quote unquote evolved beyond that the community has evolved beyond that meaning it's not like doing that isn't like um isn't advancing anything that we're doing at this point it's just it's just kind of admiring beautiful men instead of actually like opening the sports world's eyes to the fact that gay men exist in sports and so when i see other people doing it now i don't know it feels kind of it just it, it feels odd to me even though it, we were doing it 20 years ago
1: yeah it feels kind of old hat it's and now when you look at instagram and every athletes, straight or gay, has an Instagram account and they're all shirtless, it becomes a thing like, oh, there's nothing novel about it, or even slightly subversive, when before it'd be like that was somewhat subversive, like, oh my God, these guys are talking about guys' body, you know, and yet it was sort of intriguing, which is why the joke with the New York Times is when they talk about a trend, the trend's already outdated, so they do a story in 2016 about something that we had been doing for the last 16 years of Olympics, and they they finally get around to doing the story on it, so... Um, but we have evolved, and I do think that the the big trigger point was I think you're alluding to it was 2006, where Johnny Weir uh, was on the U.S. skating team, and it became a he became a sensation then because I think you have said this he was out without having to ever say the words I'm gay, and yet because he never said the words I'm gay, nobody could identify him as gay because you know because we always needed that affirmation, and yet we pushed the boundaries. I think I wrote a column that said I'm Johnny G- Weir is gayer than I am, and it really took off, and it wound up getting mainstream media attention. So I remember a, a columnist from Yahoo Sports called me from, this was in Turin in Italy, the Olympics. Just to ask about that, Just it almost gave him permission to write about Johnny Weir in that way because a gay guy had said Johnny Weir was, you know, probably gay. Even I said I'm not hundred percent sure, but it seemed obvious. And then you had the similar thing. with some of the stories you wrote with the he's here. what it? What was this saying? He's queer. He's you, you, what was it? He's weird, he's queer.
0: Well I can't remember exactly what it was. I think we coined a term NBC coined a term. And I, I think NBC, because they had queer eye for the straight guy. I I think they did Weird Eye for this for the Ike was, but they, they had to play on that. Yeah, you're right. Was, it
1: was weird. Yes, correct. It was. Yeah.
0: Rear eye for the straight guy or something like that. And and I mean, this was during the Olympics. Johnny was not talking about his sexual orientation. He refused to talk about his sexual orientation, but he would appear in segments called We're Eye for the Straight Guy or whatever it was. He would he he'd, he'd, he was in a documentary with his little Hello Kitty pillow. He was... Um, had these giant sunglasses that looked like something Jackie O would wear, and then his his outfit was uh, a, a quote unquote swan he named Camille, and you were just watching him. It was so clear, even in two thousand six, that he was saying, "You idiots! Of course I'm gay," and it was like a, to me it was like a game that he was playing, or he wouldn't just he wouldn't just say it. He wanted to say it with all of his actions. And to me, he did. But to a lot of people, a lot of people were, I don't remember being kind of pissed that he wouldn't just say the words.
1: Well, I looked it up in NBC. The, the, the segments were called We're Eye for the Skate Guy. And he's here, he's we Which is like, you can't get any more direct than that. But it was funny because it gave, I mean, the Washington Post, uh, one of their columnists who I know is gay, did a whole column on Johnny Weir in his fashion sense. And he kind of, he was the first sort of one that went more mainstream just because, and now he's NBC's lead figure state commentator. So it really worked out for him.
0: Yeah, well, and and of course in 2010, Johnny Weir and Evan Lysacek were kind of in this, or no, 2000, was it 10? Was it, yeah, it was 10. And it was kind of like the gay guy and the straight guy, like the straight masculine Evan Lysacek. And the flaming queen johnny weir yeah. and it was interesting how the media kind of pitted the two against each other in that way
1: yeah and i think it was because they always need a narrative and that was sort of their narrative um but i do think you know johnny actually really pushed the envelope and in a sense he was simply being himself and I, again i'm I crediting you because you said something i had thought about that he was basically saying i'm gay without even saying it like he never kid who he was he never you know he never felt a need to use the words I'm gay because he simply was almost like god isn't it obvious (laughs) you know what I said but it wasn't obvious to a lot of people at the time and it still is not obvious in the sense that we need people to affirmatively state their sexual orientation before even us will acknowledge it right that's still the standard we operate 20 years after we started the website
0: Uh, it's because we've gotten burned and we've gotten mm-hmm. burned in and around the olympics and this was in 2016 when we listed uh, a couple of athletes female athletes as being lgbtq because they talked about on their social media account being lgbtq or certainly not being a uh, cisgender um straight and boy we got backlash, huge backlash from, from them. We we heard from a couple of their agents and managers saying you need to remove her from the list. She didn't, oh, she wasn't okay with being on this list. I remember us I trying to figure out how do, we, how do we handle this right now?
1: Well, I, I, it really bothered me because these people were identified as LGBTQ. It was obvious, but because they never said those words, they could have all the rainbows and everything. And it was like, it gave them deniability. But I think it also showed the power of our list and our list i forget the first year we started our list of the number of out olympians but that was a thing that every media publication picked up on it just became it was it, it still is the gold standard for these things because we do the most we've done the most thorough job because we have oh i'm kind of blanking on the name of a guy in england who's a fantastic help with that with the olympics he's an olympic historian Please put his name out yeah. there Tony. yeah Tony. exactly and so yeah, um, and so we have this exhaustive list, and so that, that when it's on the list, these agents and publishers all of a sudden said, "Oh, geez, this is this means something now because it's on this it's on this Outsports list that everybody's you know quoting and linking to." Um, but it does reflect the whole issue we have with social media is that we have this problem still of well, when is someone out because of an My feeling is that Instagram profiles public. They're pretty public, but we still need them to use the words. And that even happened with the two Ram cheerleaders. It was pretty obvious looking at their social media accounts that they were gay. Um, But until they actually did coming out stories after the Super Bowl last year, we never included them in any list. Um, And something we still wrestle with today.
0: Well, somebody that we did not have to guess about was Matthew Mitchum. And and to me, this this is probably my favorite LGBTQ Olympics moment ever because Matthew Mitchum was kind of uh, in the United States anyway. He was just not a known quantity in the spring of 2008 when he came out publicly. uh, He was going to be competing in the Olympics for Australia. He comes out publicly like, two months before the Olympics, when probably a lot of people would counsel, maybe that's not the best time in the world to do that. And I will never forget where I was sitting when I was, when I found out that he had won the gold medal. I think in the last dive, he went from like fifth place to first place and won gold. I was sitting in a hotel in Washington, DC. I was there for an NLGJ event. And I, I, I remember crying at my desk. Like, I can't believe this just happened.
1: Well, and I was here in L.A., Manning. This is when we were still independent. We weren't owned by Vox Media yet. So we had to control our own computer servers. And he won the gold medal in in China. Huge upset because the Chinese were overwhelming favorites. But it was shown in the U.S. at like probably 5.30 or probably about 8.30 uh, Eastern time. And our servers crashed because so many people were searching for his name. And then when it was replayed on the West Coast at 830 West Coast time, our servers crashed again. So what I remember from that day is just panicking, calling the server company, trying to get a little more server space because we were losing out on traffic because everybody was typing this guy's name in. Um, And it was a magic moment that was only sullied by the fact that NBC refused to acknowledge the fact that he was openly gay, which you think would be a great story and refused to identify his partner in the stands that they showed on TV as being his boyfriend. So it, it became, it, and that became a story too. And I remember you got Bob Costas a sort of directly reply to that. He was NBC's host at the time because they took a lot of criticism for basically ignoring what you, the, the up close and personal network, right? That basically told you about every disease any athletes ever had ignored the fact that he was, the only I think male athlete out at the 2008 Olympics, he won a gold medal, an enormous upset, and NBC refused to acknowledge it, and they actually wound up apologizing for it.
0: Yeah, to give people context who we weren't around then or don't remember, the Chinese, their goal was to sweep all eight golds in diving, and they won the first seven. It was being hosted in Beijing, and going into the last dive. The Chinese were leading and Matthew Mitchum pulled off literally, literally, this, is, this, this isn't this is like exaggeration. He, it was literally the highest scoring dive in Olympic history. And, and the Chinese guy flopped on his last dive and Matthew Mitchum, this gay guy who had just come out two months earlier, stopped the Chinese sweep of the golds. And NBC, knowing he was gay, failed to mention that fact in any of their coverage.
1: And, and especially since the thing was on tape delay, so it wasn't like they, you know, weren't, were caught unawares by it. And they did get they got a lot of aggressive heat from that. And to their credit, they did a lot better with Gus Kenworthy uh, during the last Winter Olympics. And they kind of, you know, they... And in part because there's more out people writing for NBC and NBC Sports, and so it's harder for them to ignore these things. And it seems like a lifetime ago, but today that story that would not be ignored. <laughs> you know, if a if a major athlete came out as gay and won a medal, they would they would mention it. I think in part because they probably realized oh, this gets us good ratings.
0: Yeah, though it was odd. I remember watching the opening ceremony in 2018, and they didn't they didn't mention. Any of the three, the American team had never had an out Olympian at the Winter Games, and they had three: Brittany Bow, Adam Rippon, and Gus Kenworthy. And the opening ceremony, they didn't mention any of them.
1: <laughs> like this is just well, those opening ceremonies. I mean, they're. I mean, that's almost a different world themselves of what they say and don't say. But uh, I mean, on at least the online stuff of NBC had stories about Kenworthy, and you know they were they were, they were pretty. Specific about, and I I basically said they've they've gotten a lot better. Um, Although there was a thing in 2016 where (laughs) the one British or uh, Brazilian volleyball player she won a gold medal, and they showed her and her partner, and referred to the partner as husband, (laughs) (laughs) to the point where the guy had to apologize. He just like literally misspoke, but he called her her wife, her part, her husband. And I was watching it live at the time, and it was a live thing going, you've got to be kidding me. And that, you know, that became a black guy. And he to his credit, Tom Hammond apologized for just like totally misspeaking. But I guess that shows his frame of mind. If you're married, that must be your husband if you're a woman, right?
0: And, and to be clear, it wasn't like he was just mentioning that she had a, a husband or partner or wife. <laughs> she was embracing her partner, yeah. who clearly <laughs> a woman. And he still referred to her partner as her husband, which, yeah, bizarre. But you're right. It's, it's it's where people's heads are. It was he's on autopilot at that point and just just misspoke. Well, everybody hang tight and we'll be right back after these commercials. Okay, we're back with Jim Bazinski. And Jim, one of the things that I remember, um, this is LGBTQ related, but Shortly after we got acquired by Vox Media, I had been—I think I had been watching with you. I can't remember. It was a 2012 opening ceremony, and I thought it was just the worst opening ceremony I'd ever seen. And I remember writing a a a critical review of it that got insane traffic, in part because I very intentionally, as I was mocking it called one of the um famous british uh, characters in the opening ceremony the like Abraham Lincoln and the Brits were so <laughs> furious that I would mistake this incredibly well-known british figure for Abraham Lincoln when of course the whole time I was just I was just it was just joking around about it but the the the, the people in the UK took it so seriously but we got a crazy amount of traffic from that
1: uh, and that uh, and just quickly it was chris marlowe not tom Hammond, that called uh, the brazilian volleyball player's wife husband so i apologize to tom hammond for that it was chris marlowe um but in 2010 during the vancouver olympics i wrote a review of the opening ceremonies and basically called it well what what else we expect from canada but to put on a boring opening ceremonies and it was just again kind of a throwaway jokey thing and the the amount of traffic and comments we got from just even indignant canadians <laughs> it, was just, it just shows the power of the olympics i mean that is the you know your, your thing is like you're, you're obviously being sarcastic you know it's not abraham lincoln but people take umbrage how could you identify so and so as abraham lincoln and i mean these host countries get so sensitive if you if you at all criticize anything they do um and those are two great examples. And we'll see I'd be curious to see what, what the Japanese come up with Tokyo just some of the bizarre Japanese characters they have. I mean, it might just be head tripping.
0: Well, I remember, yeah, in the 2010 Olympics at the very end, I think it was Wayne Gretzky was gonna light light the flame or light gonna light something and it, it like it it wouldn't work. Do you remember this? It was like unfold yep. like the Holding rings or something, and like three of the rings wouldn't light. It was such a, it was such a mess. And <laughs>
1: yeah, that stuff's seen by you know hundreds of millions of people, so it's it's going to get noticed.
0: Well, looking ahead now, you know, every year we've recapped. Well, we we pre, previewed and then recapped the number of out Olympians, and somehow it, it changes over the course of the Olympics. Um, and and it, every every four years, that number seems to double. And you and I have, you know, talked pretty openly about our belief that the the number of out athletes, the next one's going to be over a hundred.
1: It should, based on on past uh, past performance and what we found out in the last uh, Winter Olympics in South Korea, I think the number tripled from our original list of out athletes, in part because of social media. And there's such a a universal appeal that we have people from all over Europe writing this saying, oh, this Dutch, you know, loser came out uh, with her her wife a a few years ago and stuff we don't pick up on. And so I think that we're going to see the same dynamic with Summer Olympics. We'll we'll have an original list and then we'll use Tony's help in the UK to get the most accurate list. And we'll print our original list that will have X number of people and that way then and then guarantee the number will change as people will keep letting us know about so and so and so and so, and on social media, more and more people are out, but they're not out publicly in the sense that they're it's not picked up on <clears throat> and we see that with non Olympic athletes all the time where somebody will write their coming out story. I came out on Facebook a year ago, I came out on Instagram six months ago, but we're not following their accounts, and you know most people are unaware of these people so it should be more than a hundred. Ha- there has to be a record. The one in uh, it was fifty-six, I believe, in Brazil, and there's simply more people have come out since. And if they make the Olympics, um, the numbers going to be, you know, should be a lot higher. It'd be fantastic to be in triple digits.
0: Well, the number should be a lot higher. Just just looking at every trend that we've looked at, um, and, and and in particular in women's sports, you know, over the last few olympics probably 80% or more of the out athletes have been in women's sports the women women's world cup this past year well, we have 40 that we, that that yeah. we knew of so just just with the number of of uh, out women in in some of these team sports like basketball and like soccer and and i believe softball is coming back for 2020 um i i'd be shocked if there weren't at least a hundred
1: well yeah and i think that the women have always driven the the conversation in a good way and of course the irony of course the women drive the conversation the men get all the coverage that's what happens you know the few men that come out everyone pays more attention to them i I think I, i think at the olympics that's that's mostly true and in some ways it's a reflection that it is still considered exotic more exotic for a man to come out in these sports and it, it simply gets more people's attention. And yet, I think the women have really been the trailblazers. And the good news was in the 2019 Women's World Cup, I think it reached parity to where they were—you know—that team was discussed as much as a men's team was, as they should have, because they are the best team in the in the in the world. But for the first time, we saw that reflected in the in the amount of coverage of LGBTQ women in um, in, in in soccer. Of which it was like you said. I think we started with 17 or 18, and it had almost tripled by the time the final list came out.
0: Well, yes, and, and and to your point, we know that when men come out in sports, uh, it gets generally more coverage than when women do because it is still newer. There are out men in sports, but. It's still in professional sports and elite level sports. There just aren't many. It's probably the women. You know, if you wanted to put a number, I would guess the women are about 15 years ahead of of the men. And but I do think that just the coverage of these out women is has increased dramatically because media is paying attention to women's sports more often. So when Elena Deladon gets married and. uh, Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger get married and Megan Rapinoe says something. These athletes are just getting covered more because there's just more attention to women's sports.
1: Yeah, and I do think that's another sign of how the power of having legal marriage is that now there is something that could be pinned on. There's an announcement, there's a wedding, there's pictures, whereas before getting a civil partnership it was possible, didn't have the same oomph to it. So just the marriage itself has sort of led us because those are all public events. I mean, a marriage license is a public document, so no one could even try to hide getting married, right? It's like you could hide having a boyfriend or girlfriend of the of the same sex, but you really can't hide the fact that you're getting married because you're saying, in a sense, that we want the world to know we're together. And so that that you know that's one of the powerful things I think that the same-sex marriage side we're seeing it in the stories we run running out sports a lot more. Stories will deal with a, a wife or a husband. We have uh, one coming up this week as a college volleyball player, and him and his husband are getting married. You know, this year. So, and they're they're like twenty one. Never would have happened. Un unimaginable fifteen years ago.
0: Married at twenty one. That's that's wow. I that I can't even imagine that for my own life. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was out till I was twenty two. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> The story that I want to kind of end with is um, (laughs) the the worst story that we've had to deal with at the Olympics. And that was in 2016, when a straight cisgender reporter thought it would be interesting to trap some closeted athletes on Grindr and reveal their identities, some of whom were from countries... Where being gay is illegal, and that you know, I, I I remember that I remember being so angry that this was happening, and it's it's kind of shocking that that guy that guy didn't lose his job, he hasn't he hasn't peeped on social media since, but it just, it's just shocking the the repercussions to him in his career seemed to be nothing, despite literally entrapping closeted gay men on Grindr and outing them.
1: Yeah, and, and as employer of the Daily Beast, I don't think you ever really had a full reckoning or accounting of how this happened, how it made it through the editing process, how someone, you know, and, and, and did this guy just direct publish of the web? Was that the idea? Because, I, you know, I work at the LA Times, and that would never happen at the LA Times or the New York Times. I mean, someone would have flagged that. Someone would have sort of Somebody in the chain of, you know, who who themselves LGBTQ would have saw that and immediately raised a red flag, but the Daily Beast sort of never really had any consequences. That was very disturbing. They took a lot of heat for it, and they took the story down, but the damage had already been done, and it wasn't like they named the people by name, but they gave enough descriptions that people were immediately able to figure out five people just by the descriptions they had given, and some of them were in countries where they literally could have been faced to... imprisonment or worse maybe so yeah it really was it was this idea that someone oh what a great idea posing a, a you know on Grinder." and it was a disaster journalistically but as far as I can see nothing bad ever happened to them
0: yeah well again it's I, I'll be curious to hear from people what Grinder and other social media apps look like in Tokyo and if, if that episode had a chilling effect because because talking to a couple of people who were on the ground, they said that the fear was very real and that people just disappeared from Grindr because they were they were athletes, they're Olympic athletes on Grindr, and 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 other social gay social media apps. And and um, talking to a couple of people, they said that they just the people just disappeared out of fear.
1: I understand that I could see the same kind of caution being in 2020 because. You have no idea now who's monitoring this kind of stuff, and if you are, an, if you're an Olympic athlete, you, I would be, I would be extra careful. If you're from a place where it would be dangerous for yourself to be known, especially, um, yeah. There'll probably be a lot of people that don't care. They're going to be on it. Who cares if somebody, you know, randomly finds out? But no, and this is the this is the one time where a lot of these athletes actually can maybe be themselves and to have that guy kind of just screw it up and not face any. Well, we just any repercussions is really kind of sad.
0: Well, Jim, you and I could talk and talk and talk about all this stuff, but um, I end every interview with the same two questions. And the first one I'm not going to ask you because the name of the the pod the podcast, Five Rings to Rule Them All, comes from a line in Lord of the Rings. And I know you, I think you've seen the three movies because I think that was a thing you did at Christmas, if I remember correctly, but that you have yes. no interest
1: in it, right? I still, so well, I, let's not get into the Lord of the Rings. I just don't know enough about them to say, I, I know there are rings involved, but I still don't really understand why they didn't take the dragon and flying at the rings in the first place, as opposed to going on a long walk by, by foot. But that's another story you can fill me in on later.
0: God, hopping on a dragon would have made it a lot faster, you're right.
1: Exactly, um, the- it would have been, we couldn't do nine hours of movies that way.
0: The question that I think you will have an answer for is, tell me an Olympian who's inspired you.
1: I just think Matthew Mitchum, because he just, he came out in May of 2012, 2012, uh, 2008, sorry, and simply declared who he was, and then went and competed at the highest level and won a gold medal. And he showed being out had no impact on him. It may have actually, for all we know, helped him, because it took no pressure. And just that act of simply declaring who he was, to me, was really powerful and should be a real statement for other athletes that this idea that this is career killing, career damaging, he showed up the opposite. He won a gold medal when no one expected him to win a gold medal, setting a dive mark that was the highest in history. So I think that would have to be Matthew Mitchum, because I think he's a historic figure in that way.
0: I was a track and field fan growing up. I loved watching Carl Lewis and uh, Florence Griffin Joyner, and and watching Usain Bolt um, win that win his first Olympic gold was was like magic. But that moment oh. was probably my favorite uh, Olympic moment. Matt Matthew Mitchum winning that gold medal that was that was just like it was written in the Hollywood script.
1: Yeah, really, totally. Well, we could do so- this again. Uh, we'll do this again sometime. Actually, during Tokyo, we can be talking live as the Olympics are going on.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I'll, I, I may end up doing every day from, uh, during the Olympics, but we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that down the road. But thanks yeah. again, and uh, see you soon. Outsports is going to be covering the 2020 Olympic Games very heavily leading up to the Olympics and during the games themselves this summer in Tokyo. And it's always a ton of fun covering the games because the LGBTQ athletes, frankly, they do very well. People always come out right before or during the games, and, and stuff always happens. So, anyhow, Jim will be a big part of that, as will the whole Outsports team. Come back next week. I have a really cool guest. Karen Clement is coming on. He came out publicly a couple of months ago. He's an Olympic gold medalist in track and field. So he's going to come on and talk about uh, competing for the United States and how he kind of stumbled across coming out at just some track unveiling in Los Angeles. Now we'll talk to you next week.